Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the SPP, the Sunday Punch Podcast. We are here with Aiden Grogan. Forgot your name, it's been too long, dude. Aiden <laughs> Grogan. Uh, we're going to be talking about some important topics today. Um, conservatism versus uh, being a liberal versus being a libertarian. I think there's some good uh, distinctions and it's all kind of uh, blurred lines nowadays anyway so and then we'll talk about the terrible um mass shooting in texas and uh the arguments that are happening now and do our best to offer some other ideas and uh be as kind of um you know i don't want to lean any one way or the other so I, i i would like to just offer some good ideas um before we um get into that we'll play a little friday night and then we'll start talking about it Sound good? Friday night I'm thinking that we just might Fly away to someplace they don't know Who we are Now I'm riding shotgun in your car We drive through the city like explorers going 65 Flowing hair flying across your face We left on Friday, now it's Saturday Press jeans buttoned up, jeans iron slipping up Red shoes walking slow, headphones blaring three stacks Sunglasses flaring out, thick watch hanging low Studded belt pulled taut, three stacks on the radio Friday night, I'm thinking that we just might Run away to some place we we can be who we are. We can be who we are. Okay, where do you want to start, bud? Oh well, we could start with the traditional conservatism versus classical liberalism debate. Yeah, I was watching that video of yours. Um, check it out on YouTube. Uh, type in Aiden Grogan. You can see. Yeah, my channel is currently called uh, Linium Vitae, which is a it's a Latin phrase means tree of life. Uh, okay, uh, just for purposes of keeping my name a little concealed right now, uh, I changed the name. Uh, okay. My Rumble name is still the same, but uh, on YouTube it's L I G M U N or N U M V I T A E. I heard that. Uh, yeah, you were having some trouble with YouTube. Yep, I've had a total of four of my videos deleted by YouTube, either for so-called medical misinformation or cyberbullying and harassment, whatever that's supposed to mean. I guess if, if you criticize Bill Gates, that's cyberbullying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had two strikes on the channel, and if they randomly deleted one more video, then my channel would have been terminated. So I unlisted every video for a couple of weeks just so they wouldn't delete any of them but everything's back public now i've got back down to one strike instead of two strikes so we're, we're good for now okay well that's good to hear i, I would hate I, I enjoy your videos and they then they're not controversial at all yeah so if anybody wants to check them out um they're very very well researched and um i think they do a good job of especially this one conservatism versus liberal and then the whole history behind it was very interesting so yeah break it down give us the history and and uh where we are today yeah so the point i was making with the video is that 
there's really a debate on the political right in America and other Western countries between traditional conservatism and classical liberalism. Now, American conservatives generally don't understand that they're actually just defending the classical liberal principles upon which the United States was founded. Those being free market capitalism, individual liberty. So the idea of free speech, the right to bear arms, the right to privacy, due process of law, the rule of law, that's all liberalism. That comes out of the Enlightenment liberal uh, consensus. Now, generally, anybody would agree with those principles. Any, any reasonable person would say, we need free speech. We need right to privacy. We need due process of law. Uh, so, but there's also other ideas stemming from the Enlightenment that, uh, well, have proved to be fundamentally flaws, uh, false. So, for example, uh, it's commonly thought that man is a blank slate. And this was a, a popular conception of John Locke, who was an English political philosopher, tremendously influential on Thomas Jefferson, as well as the French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who was also influential on the founding fathers of the United States. So essentially, the blank slate says that man doesn't have any real human nature. You come into the world just as a, a literal blank slate and everything that becomes of you in terms of personality behavior is all socialization. So the uh, a popular enlightenment conviction then was that man is flawed because of the influence of government or bad education or religion or nationalism, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so in order to perfect man, we have to eliminate uh, various institutions, uh, which they believe have contributed to man being corrupt. So you'll see this all up until Karl Marx, the, the inventor of communism, that we must get rid of the nuclear family. We must get rid of all nations. We must get rid of religion so that man can be free. So, so, uh, conservatives in the United States, I think if, if, if they want to get anywhere, they have to first of all, recognize that they're not actually defending traditionally conservative values. They're defending classical liberalism and then try to decide what are they going to keep from classical liberalism and what are they going to throw out? Because uh, I'll just add traditional conservatism is hierarchy, authority, order. And liberalism in the classical sense says there's something often flawed with hierarchy, authority, order, tradition. So the institutions must be um, fixed in some way. And then the, the sort of uh, radical leftism, the revolutionary faith, as it is, of, of uh, the Jacobins in, in France or the Marxists says, all institutions are predicated on power. Everything is hierarchy and corruption. And so to hell with it all. We have to burn it all down. And where do you fall? So I fall somewhere between the classical liberal worldview and the traditional conservative worldview. So I think there's merit to having a state that recognizes we adhere to this specific faith. Now, not everyone has to adhere to it, but we kind of put it up as a symbol saying this is our heritage. This is our culture. So we're going to have religious symbols in government. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think also uh, this classical liberal dogmatic devotion to the free market is is extremely flawed. And and traditional conservatives tend not to place the market as the the supreme ethic. They think that well, actually, the well being of your nation, family, community, faith that all comes before economics and GDP growth and material prosperity. So I'm, I'm really uh, somewhere in between classical liberalism and traditional conservatism. So that, that's my confusion because I always thought that being a conservative meant that I only believe in the free market as little, well, as little government interference as possible. Although I would say of my current understanding that traditional conservatives uh, do want the government to get involved in, let's say, abortion or beforehand mm-hmm. the legalization of marijuana, right? Yep. Because those are threatening like values, right? Whereas a libertarian would then take it one step further and say, I don't even want the government involved in that kind of stuff, right? And so I've always thought that conservatives were and libertarians were free market trumps all, um, leave it up to the states, federal government less spending, less taxes. Yeah, that's that's the American brand of conservatism uh, dating back really to the founding. But in the traditional, really European sense of conservatism, it's not because it comes out of the revolutionary uh, period. So as I was saying that uh, liberalism saw government as a threat to the individual, and then in some cases, the family and religion are threats to the individual. So conservatives in America are defending the original liberal idea that government is a threat to the individual. So we must, we must shrink government. Uh, Leftists, Marxists, Jacobins, socialists, uh, they regard not only the government, but also the nuclear family, religion, church, um, even community and nations as all being threats to the individual. And so what's interesting about Marxism is that the end goal is to actually abolish the government because man will apparently be so perfected that you won't even need a government anymore. So traditional conservatives, or I'm sorry, classical liberals who are conservatives in America, they they set themselves as saying, uh, we want less government, the, the lefties want more government, which is true because they only want more government so they have the power to rearrange society before they get rid of the state completely. That's the Marxist uh, dream of a utopia. So all of liberalism is an attempt to make the individual more free. And that's conservatives and liberals in the United States are just arguing that from different perspectives. The conservatives say the biggest threat to the individual comes from the state. The liberals are saying the biggest threat to the individual comes from communities, i.e. church, family, uh, nations, etc. So you think that the liberals of today have have turned in have been radicalized? Yes. So it's uh because they're they're sort of acting out uh the the worldview of of Karl Marx or Adam Weishaupt who was the founder of the Illuminati which we spoke about in a different podcast. Uh this this revolutionary fervor, this idea that we're going to tear down all these flawed or oppressive institutions, we're going to fundamentally restructure society, and and this assumption that 
we can actually create a utopia. And this is the, you know, everything that the left says with attacking their opponents. You're racist, you're sexist, you're homophobic. It always implies that there's going to be some world utopia where we all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. They think that that's possible. And that's, that's the revolutionary tradition. That's the Marxist Illuminati idea that we can erect a tower of Babel. We can, we can have one world, one dream. And so what do you think are the main influences? I've always wondered this. Um, as you grow up, you know, there's, you know, let's break it down. There's probably whatever your family is, is probably what you, you know, most likely, unless you use that as like a turn of rebellion, um, your social group, uh, as you go through college, there's a statistic of as you become higher educated, the more quote unquote progressive or liberal you become. Um, I'm trying to think of some others, but what do you think are like the main factors in what determines um, and what and what do you think most people are? Actually, I mean, uh, everyone I know is has a to, to me a very simplistic view on. Mm -hmm. all of these different issues. Yeah. Um, so, and so yeah, go what, ahead. what determines uh, political orientation is, is large. It's partially genetic and uh, it, it comes down to your temperament and, and your temperament is often it, it's influenced by your family, but it's also, it's part of your nature because it's, it's your family. Uh, and so what you find, there's been many psychology studies on this. Conservatives are, low in trait openness and they're high in trait conscientiousness. So there's the big five personality traits, uh, openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So conservatives, low in openness. So they're not typically very intellectual or creative types of people historically, but they're very conscientious. So they know how to follow the rules. They're very structured, morally grounded people. Uh, and they don't really disturb society they're not they're not out there uh breaking windows breaking into cars rioting uh like like the left does now the liberals on the other hand it's the, it's the, literally the opposite they are high in openness but low in conscientiousness so they want to break the rules they want to stir things up uh they're more interested in abstract ideas new philosophies um i think that's getting a bit skewed today because if the liberals were so open, then why do they shut down speakers that they disagree with? Why do they uh, why do they censor opposing views on the Internet? So obviously they're not very open. So now they're because now they have so much power, they're like shifting into a totalitarian uh, yeah. a control freak mindset. But uh, so I think that most conservatives in the United States, despite the fact that they're defending classical liberalism, actually are the traditional conservative um, uh, personality type. They just haven't realized it yet because even conservatives in America who love their guns and their trucks and they fly their American flag, they're hardworking people. They, they, go, they go to work early. They provide for their families. Maybe they go to church. Uh, so they're very disciplined, orderly people. Uh, but I think through the influence of, of, uh, conservative think tanks that that really just broadcast this very simplistic free market message. Uh, American conservatives haven't really explored deep into the ideas to realize that some of these classical liberal ideas are flawed and actually work against their best interests. Mm -hmm. 
So now um, there seems to be this radicalization of both sides. So you have, you know, the Antifa or the alt-right and it's all being very radicalized. I'm sure social media has a, um, an impact on that. I was just watching Vice last night with uh, about Dick Cheney and I'm sure, you know, that's skewed as well, but I did look this up is when he, um, he basically nixed this uh, bill that made the media have to kind of balance both sides. So there was a check and balance with the government. Mm -hmm. So he nixed that. And that was the creation of Fox news, which then created, you know, MSNBC. And so now you have no more news. It's just basic opinion, like people like us, but, you know, trying to get as much controversy out of a statement. Um, do you think people are as radicalized as it makes it seem? Or do you think they just get the most attention? Uh, I don't think that there's radicalism on the right, except for a small sliver of, of people who are fed up with, with uh, the current system. But uh, the left has been the main driving force of radicalism in the United States. So if you look at the the sort of political compass in the United States over the past 50 years, the left is consistently moving more and more towards the left, and they actually drag the right with them. So the right is constantly giving ground to the left. So for instance, the left got gay marriage legalized in 2015, and the conservatives at the time were saying, we don't support this. This is uh, That's not a marriage but then you notice like within one year, they completely dropped the whole gay marriage thing. And then you had Donald Trump saying in 2016 that he supports gay marriage and he had the pride flag on stage. Like, look at me. <laughs> so, well, I've always said Donald Trump's probably the most liberal. Uh, he was. Yeah. Ever yeah. Was, but... And that was the irony of him being called this, this super right wing fascist. Yeah. It, 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 he was basically a centrist populist. So what did um, I, you mentioned this in your video? So um, you mentioned he Donald Trump did some things right, but some things wrong by being you know Americanist versus being um, a globalist. Mm -hmm. So I kind of explained that because that was an yeah. Interesting point. So uh, for those who remember Donald Trump's uh, um, it was his uh, RNC speech in 2016. He said, Americanism, not globalism, will be our credo. And the crowd went wild. But the irony is that Americanism is fundamentally globalism. And it's difficult for people to understand that because when they hear Americanism, they think that means America first. But the American system as it exists in the world is a force for globalism because what America does is it goes to countries with governments that we don't like we overthrow those governments and try to institute a secular liberal democracy that's globalism america is the driving force of uh free markets capitalism around the world the biggest businesses in the world that do business everywhere they come from the united states the united states is remaking the world in its own image and ireland is the best example because this is a, a traditionally catholic country a unique culture dating back thousands of years. But since they joined the EU in the 90s and all these American businesses like Bank of America and uh, many others went there to do business, now a city like Dublin is looking a lot more like New York City or Chicago. There's these big glass buildings, 
skyscrapers, uh, this all this modern architecture, the fashion's changing, the culture's changing, the people are changing. Now they bring in all these migrants, so it's becoming much more international, multicultural, multi-ethnic. So people need to understand that, that that is Americanism. That's what America does on the world stage. It tries to remake everyone in our own image. Now there's people who would say, well, isn't America a force for good because it makes everyone richer, it makes everyone more free? And that 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 is a... a an argument that needs to be made. But I think if it's done at uh, the expense of getting rid of, of cultures and, and sort of deracinating people, uh, undermining their, their faith, their traditions, their heritage, and just sort of uh, making them into disposable consumer and, and uh, units of production uh, that there's, there's nothing good in the long run about that it's 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 making the world a, a shopping mall essentially mm -hmm. so you <clears throat> you mentioned in your video of uh where we can go from here and use i believe it was hungary as an example yeah so, so hungary yeah. and poland so those are those are two you know liberal democracies they are they are immersed in the modern liberal paradigm in so far as they are democratic they are free societies they don't have uh, a, a monarchy they're not autocracies they don't have a state-run church uh but they are just you know just and despite being in the european union and and working with the international order they're holding on to their traditions they recognize that they are unique cultures they they speak a specific language they they have a certain uh, heritage that they want to defend. So they're not allowing the EU and the UN and other NGOs to dump millions of migrants in their countries. They're building actual walls and setting up actual uh, security systems to not allow anyone to just pour in. So, and they, they've done all that without having to regress back to some, uh, I guess, very far right, traditionally conservative, uh, a system of government. So, you know, at one point I made in the video is that there's, there's a lot of young men, although a very small minority on the right, who are becoming extremely traditionally conservative and they want a, an absolute monarchy. They want a state run religion. And uh, my issue with that is in order for that to happen, you would have to force millions and millions of people who are so far divorced from that for hundreds of years of history to live within your ideal conception of a state. And that will only result in violence, bloodshed, civil war. And this book, uh, A Study of History by Arnold J. Toynbee, goes into detail about how when a civilization is collapsing, you have these people who start to fetishize the long past. They say this was these were the glory days. This was the golden age. And we need to bring that back. So you get... Mm -hmm really intellectual people who get very romantic and then they want to sort of resurrect it. And then what they end up doing is they have to force everyone to live within the, the values and the ethics and the, and the, the system of law of a, of a era that's, that's long gone and it never works. Well, that's kind of what Donald Trump ran on. So would it be dangerous if he ran again and won? Well, the difference between what Donald Trump ran on, well, it was the, the, the interesting thing is it was tapping into that sentiment because people sense that America is collapsing. We're in this age of decadence. The, 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 the social fabric's coming apart. 
So when Trump says make America great again, these older people, especially the baby boomers, they think back to the to the 70s and the 80s when they were having a great time and the country just seemed like it was much more prosperous, much more socially cohesive. Uh, but but when Trump says make America great again, of course, he's saying make America an economic powerhouse again, make it a proud nation again. He's not saying we need to revert back 100 years. OK, so yeah. I don't think there's any danger in that statement. And his his I assume he's going to run again and his campaign is just save America. So I I, I don't I think that's a pretty stupid slogan. <laughs> Now, would you like him back on Twitter like I would? I, I would love him back on Twitter, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, this is going to be brutal, the next um, the next race. But, oh, yeah. okay. Any any uh, dark horses that should be considered? I, I think we've talked about this before, but everyone keeps telling me, all my friends, oh, no, Donald Trump, he'll be indicted or arrested. No, he won't. And he pretty much has all of the leverage in his case. So it's just going to be, I believe, Biden and Trump again, right, running? I think so, yeah. Because uh, some some podcast, uh, I don't, you probably know the podcast. I can't remember their name. But they interviewed Trump at Mar-a-Lago a couple months ago. Um, they were in there just dressed like in their pajamas, pretty much drinking beer with Trump in his suit, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and they asked him outright, is he going to run? And he's like, well... I can't say anything yet because of the campaign finance stuff, but a lot of people are going to be really happy. (laughs) I think he just announced that he's running without announcing it. All right. We'll see how that plays out. Now you mentioned an interesting point. What was that? John Locke who said born as a blank slate. Right. And so you want to get rid of religion. So he wanted to get rid of the nuclear family too. No. So it's, it's um, it, it depends on which, philosopher you're referring to john locke i I haven't read too much into him but uh he thought that that for the first years of your life there's nothing innate within you everything is just learned so it's all socially conditioned i'm not saying that he wanted to break up the family but uh other enlightenment thinkers especially the more feminist types of thinkers like mary wollstonecraft who shared this blank slate idea thought that all these all these problems in the world are because of uh, men oppress women and uh, the nuclear family is a creation of men to oppress women, to subjugate them. Then mm-hmm. they'll claim that, yeah, others will claim that the government is the biggest oppressor of the people. We must get rid of government. So that's, that's more of the, I guess, illuminist Marxist idea, but which again, people think that Marxism automatically means big government, which it does initially, but the goal is to eventually get rid of government. So depending on which philosopher you're referring to, some were more radical than others. But if they share this idea that man is a blank slate and that you are the product of your environment, it implies that you can train people to act in any desired way. So you could get rid of the family. You could get rid of the state. You could get rid of all nations and you just have to properly educate and sort of brainwash people to act good, whatever your definition of good it happens to be. Well, I only bring that up because I want to make the transition into this, the mass shootings and the rise of mass shootings. Mm -hmm. And I know in your video about that, you mentioned uh, having this kind of, uh, you know, the, the loss of the nuclear family and some of these things of 
I believe you mentioned also of having, um, you know, the Christianity is like our culture of being, this is our religion. And maybe that could be, you know, brought back into the schools that was taken out of the schools. Right. And so if that's the foundation that you go, because everybody jumps to the, well, not to, you know, be, I don't even know not to, I, I don't want to be, um, I'm, I forget the word, but you know, everyone goes to the smoking gun basically, right, which right. is the last thing, which is, Oh, okay. This isn't about the foundational cause of mass shootings. It's the very last step of mass shootings. And that's, Oh, well, it has to be AR 15s. Now mm -hmm. I would like to state, do people need an AR-15? No. To me, no, you don't. Um, the NRA loves them because they're super profitable. Um, and sure, yes, I, I see the freedom argument. But to me, it's like, if that's the case, then I should be able to buy a bazooka too. Mm -hmm. You know? <laughs> like, well I... I <laughs> I, if, you were, if we're going to go all the way, then I'd rather go all the way with it because then it's like, oh, okay, we could form our own militia and fight the government. You know, it all goes into mm -hmm. the extreme of let's fight the government. So right, right. If so that's the case, then I should be able to buy a tank and a bazooka and all this shit then. Yeah. But to me, that's not the case. So the fact that you can then buy an AR-15 to me is like one step away from right so uh, i have a few things to say about that so i i used to be a big second amendment enthusiast and i still do defend the second amendment um but the what's interesting about the second amendment is the the conception behind it is that the people need to have firepower that could match that of the government so in case they did have to overthrow the government they'd be able to do that now that was possible in the 1700s because it was just muskets and cannons. So, but from about, well, the post-Civil War period, once you started getting these very, very sophisticated, high-powered weapons that would then be used in World War I, uh, the people in this country simply did not have firepower that would match that of the state. But the, the state has uh, fighter jets that can drop bombs <laughs> and right. flatten a whole village and you've got your ar-15 so the whole concept of the second amendment unfortunately is becoming superfluous because the the people in this country would only be able to fight a guerrilla war and with the national security apparatus that's being set up they're not going to stand a chance eventually they're all going to be routed out and defeated uh but no, to tie my, it main, in, my but my main point is Yes. Should the AR-15, you know, no one needs one. That being said, that doesn't answer the question of, okay, why is someone being motivated to go into a shopping mall or a school or a church and do this? And if we ban AR-15s, they're still going to have guns. And they um, could make, they could make bombs. You know, right. So people, I think yeah. it all it all starts at the foundation of why is this happening? Right. And no one starts at the foundation. We all mm -hmm. go to the simplest, which is human nature. The oh, if we did this super simple thing, then this would eliminate uh, school shootings and church shootings. And to me, it's it's much more um, evil than that. It's like, what is the foundational 
uh, influence that's causing people to think, you know, what's a good idea. I'm going to go shoot a bunch of kids in a school. Yeah. So, uh, so one thing I'll say starting off here, then I'll get into that psychology of why they do it. Uh, so the liberals assume that the accessibility of firearms and the capacity of firearms to inflict mass casualties is a new phenomenon. They think that that rose in accordance with the frequency of the mass shootings. And liberals are supposed to be the smart people who understand history. And if that was the case, then they would understand that World War I over 100 years ago was an industrial slaughterhouse on a mass scale. So the availability of fully automatic firearms that can mow down tons of people in a very short amount of time uh, have been well have been have existed for about 100 years. So I made the point in the video in the 1920s, a kid could have gone into a high school with a Tommy gun with a drum magazine. That's what the mobsters use and mow down their classmates. But it didn't happen. And the study I cited, uh, Journal of Family Studies, whatever it was called, there were no mass shootings in the 1940s or 50s or 50s or 60s. And then at the end of the 70s, it was 1979, then it started happening. And it was very rare. But then once Columbine happened, you got all mm-hmm. these copycats. And so the past 20 years now, they've just been increasing. But the accessibility of firearms and the capability of firearms to inflict mass casualties hasn't changed. So something changed culturally and that's why i made the case that in all the schools before the 60s they would they would pray pray even in public schools so there was this this idea that there actually is a standard of right and wrong it's not just your opinion of what's right and what's wrong there's a god and he is the author of morality uh and then i cited a couple of those court cases in my latest video um and then they threw out the Ten Commandments from the schools officially in, in 1980. That was a court case with, with Kentucky because they wanted to mandate that all the schools had the Ten Commandments. Now, what's interesting about the Ten Commandments, even if you're secular, even if you're not religious, you can still agree with what the Ten Commandments say. It says, you're not God. Uh, don't kill. Don't steal. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't bear false witness. So they're very common sense morals. And you throw that out. And then within just a few years... You have Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, at least Eric Harris, claiming that he's a god. He feels like a god, and he wants to kill all humans. And so this is where I'll get into the—I want to get into the philosophy of why they do it. Because people say, how could someone do this? How could they kill a bunch of innocent children? Well, it's because these people, they have no foundations, as you were saying. They have no sense of right and wrong. They believe that they're god, and they're they're nihilistic. They're they're They're— uh, very, very pissed off at the structure of the universe. You know, they don't have a father in the home typically. Uh, and so they decide that, well, life is not worth living. Not only my own, but everyone else's is also meaningless. So they try, they go out with this statement where they want to inflict as much death and as much carnage on the world before they say goodbye. And that's why they always cap themselves off at the end. So this, it's a profoundly religious statement that they're making, despite the fact that we're in a secular culture. You have these mass shooters, in many cases, saying something that is profoundly religious. And Eric Harris, who shot up Columbine, was uh, the perfect example of it. He 
set himself up as the supreme judicator over all existence. And he declared that the human race is not worth fighting for. It's only worth ki killing. He said, give the earth back to the animals. And, and he had, he thought he was superior because he had come to this grandiose realization and thought it was his mission to try to kill as many people. You know, he didn't forgive. He didn't forget. He wrote that in his journal. They're very disturbing journals. You can find them online, everything he said. And people, again, people ask, why would they do this? Well, go read the journal. And they say exactly why they did it. They hate the human race. They want to kill everybody. And what's interesting, because I, I, I really emphasize the point of the loss of, of Christi, Christian morality in the schools. Uh, the first person who was killed in this ch chain reaction of mass shootings was a girl uh, named Rachel Scott at Columbine High School. And Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold had teased her before about her religious faith because she was a devout Christian. And she had this idea where she would, you know, a little act of kindness would have ripple effects. It would cause a chain reaction and you would sort of spread goodness throughout the cosmos. And Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, meanwhile, were making videos saying they wanted to start a chain reaction of mass shootings. They want to start a chain reaction of death and carnage. So right when they uh, entered school grounds, on, on April 20th, 1999, they shot her as she was sitting outside eating lunch and she was on the ground wounded and they went up to her and said, do you still believe in God? And she said, you know, I do. And then they shot her dead. Uh, so that was the first victim. Now, what's crazy, there were 12 people, 12 students who were killed on that day, plus one teacher. And that day in one of her classes, Rachel Scott was drawing a pair of eyes that were crying and there were literally 13 tears which watered a blooming, blooming flower, a, a columbine, whatever. The, I don't know the, the, the flower names. but And then she wrote on, on the wall in her house that was discovered later that, that one day she, her message would impact millions of people. She wrote in her journal a, one year before her death, I think April 20th, 1998, she wrote in her journal, my last year, thank you, God. So all these supernatural things happened surrounding her death. And then her funeral was broadcasted on CNN and, and her message did have these sort of ripple effects throughout the culture. All these people heard of her story, then read her journals and were inspired by it. So you have something that is actually religious and spiritual going on with these mass shootings, but no one wants to look into it. And I think no one wants to look into it because it's religious and we don't, we don't have religion in our culture anymore. So, and Rachel Scott's father, after the shooting, when he did a hearing in Congress and they asked him about gun control, and he said, this doesn't have anything to do with gun control. This goes all the way back to Cain and Abel in the Bible. This is about someone who is fed up with existence and wants to, wants to avenge God by destroying creation. That's, that's Eric Harris. And same thing with uh, uh, the psycho who, who shot up a sorority house in Isla Vista, uh, Elliot Roger. He, he did a video the day before he went on a rampage and killed six people where he said humanity is a disgusting, depraved species. And if he had it in his power, he would stop at nothing to reduce everyone to mountains of skulls and rivers of blood. So, again, it's it's they're out for revenge. They're out to destroy. And this is a religious problem. It's not the guns. Right. And it's I would say it's also just a lack of investment in education problem, too. Um, if you if you're not into I could see someone being like, no, the religion thing is not um, something that we should be pushing or or along those lines. But even if you 
again, what you said, the Ten Commandments is pretty much standardized of right and wrong, and I think mm-hmm. everyone would agree with it. Um, but I mean, there's there's no investment in in education whatsoever. So there's no investment in, hey, let's bring up our kids to um, be good people. Let's invest in that aspect of it. It's, you know, everything is always cut from education. And then you wonder why animals are the result of not investing in education. And, you know, you know, to me, it's just like the lowest common denominator is the gun thing at the end. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at the start and then let's try and invest in that. Let's try and invest in, okay, if someone does come from a family where we know that it's hard for them, let's have, you know, some sort of mental health program throughout the school or how can we help troubled kids? Um, how can we listen to them? But it always just goes to, oh, AR-15. Mm-hmm. They would, you know, that person that made the video saying, I want to have a mountain of skulls and a blood river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they wouldn't be able to do anything without an AR-15. Yeah. Like, the thing is, he didn't use an AR-15. He used pistols. So, <laughs> well, there you go. And by the way, the you know, this one specific example, there was nothing in his history. There had been no background check red flag either. So, mm-hmm. Look, it's the simple solution. Does anyone need an AR-15? No. But, I, you know, the major problem is the foundation in the education system for me. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think part of the problem with the education system is, is the lack of proper moral guidance. Because if you have, if you're not allowed to teach anything religious in schools, first of all, what does that mean? Because I think everything's religious. The, the liberals, the progressives who, who are the m- most moralizing people out there they don't realize that they're making religious arguments you know the what is you know everything's oppression and racism sexism homophobia and the thing i was on it well on what basis do you say that these are all bad it's a it's, it's an epistemological question because they say they say simultaneously that everything is relative everything's a social construct it goes back to that blank slate thing there's no universal standard of morality. There's no universal standard of right and wrong, good and evil, truth and, and falsehood, etc. Uh, and, and that's what they teach in the schools now. It's all, you know, that's the whole thing. You do you, man. It's all just your opinion. There is no universal truth. There is no absolute right and wrong. So if you, if you teach young people that, uh, is it any surprise then that someone says, well, I'm God and I say everyone should die? And that's, that's the thing is that's moral to them. They're not, they don't think they're doing something that's evil. They think that, well, it's their moral conviction that humanity is a disgusting depraved species and it should be dispensed with. So again, it's a religious argument and you cannot defeat a spiritual, you cannot win a spiritual fight if you're not willing to fight the spiritual battle. And we are not willing to fight the spiritual battle because people just want to uh, play it easy and say it's the guns. And and there's some merit to the claim that, well, it, do, it basically happens in this country. You don't have this phenomenon in Ireland. You don't have this phenomenon in Germany. Uh, 
it is an American phenomenon, this idea of the lone wolf taking an AR-15 and killing a bunch of innocent people. It happens all over the world, but this there's something uniquely American about the way it happens here. And uh, the case I make is because I'm again, I, I do believe in the Second Amendment, but in order to have a Second Amendment, in order to have freedom in general, you have to have a, a moral people that are disciplined, that that have some consensus on what's right and what's wrong. And and uh, ultimately, they have to have religion in their lives. They have to be uh, spiritually furnished, as I said at the end of my latest video. If, if you have just this sort of decadent nihilistic society that says anything goes, you do you, man, be whatever you want to be. Uh, there's no standard of right and wrong. Well, this is what you're going to create. If you mix broken homes, secular liberal values, uh, a very just vulgar pornographic culture with hundreds of millions of guns, uh, people are going to start getting violent. So uh, to put it simply, the question is, it's not what's what's wrong with the guns. It's well, what's what's happening to men in America where they are acting like this? Why are they doing this? Yeah. And then on the opposite side, on the right side, they don't address it either. Yeah, I was just listening to a podcast and they're just like, well, we need we need security guards and we yep. need to have, you know, uh, metal detectors. And we need to, we need more guns. You know, yep. basically we need more security again, not addressing the foundational. What's, yeah. what's wrong with, like you said, you know, what what's happening to these men that is causing them to feel disenfranchised enough to then say i'm going to go take 19 lives mm -hmm. yeah that's that is a big issue and yeah i've been noticing that this past week too you flip on fox news and all they're talking about is how we just need more security at the schools we need to arm the teachers and <laughs> and it's but it's interesting they they rant about these these crazy teachers teaching the kids about gender pronouns and oral sex but then they say let's give them guns <laughs> And I just think, no, I don't want the teachers to have guns. I just, I, I support having more armed yeah. security. How about school. paying teachers more so that normal people go into that profession? Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? That yeah. could be a good solution as well. Um, also the last thing, which would, it's apparently a controversial statement is I think they should never, ever report on this in the um, mass media. You're saying don't don't give the shooter don't the name. don't give the name at all. Yeah, I, I never ever reveal that information. Yeah, you, you mentioned it. The copycat thing is. I mean, it happens every time a serial mm -hmm. killer, uh, you know, gets attention. There's 20 more people that die because you just gave that guy attention. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Especially in the culture that's been bred in America of look at me. Mm-hmm. And that's what every shooter wants. They want to have that notoriety, even though they're going to be dead. They want to be remembered for that statement that they made. That was that was Eric Harris. They knew they were going to kill everyone and then kill themselves, but they thought that they would be hailed as gods. By, and they would they they knew that this would set off a chain reaction of copycats, and that's exactly what happened. And but they all but they all say the same thing. They all they all say that they're going to be God when they kill everyone. So. You know. Well, I think we, uh, I think we got to uh, the main points we wanted to get to on that. It's a yeah. terrible scenario, 
And uh, I just wish people would focus on the foundational issues other than the very simplistic view of guns, no right. guns. Right. Security, no security. But people can't really understand. You know, you don't want to keep digging further because mm -hmm. that involves research and some time and energy. So um, thanks for joining today. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'll reach out again. I was um, at the Kentucky Derby. I was then in Vegas and then I had COVID. So I had three weeks of no podcasting, but I'm trying to get back into it. So I'll... Um, I'll be hitting you up. I think we yeah. should do this more often. Yeah. As we'll have, mentioned on prior ones. Yeah. We'll have to do one where we discuss the war in Ukraine. That's a, yeah. that's a big topic. Will do. All right. Well, thanks for joining. Uh, we'll go out to Friday night and uh, I'll see you later, man. All right. Peace. Friday night. I'm thinking that we just might fly away to someplace they don't know who we are now i'm riding shotgun in your car we drive through the city like explorers going 65 flowing hair flying across your face we left on friday now it's saturday press jeans buttoned up jeans iron slipping up red shoes walking slow headphones blaring three stacks sunglasses flaring out thick watch hanging low studded belt pulled taut three stacks on the radio friday night i'm thinking that we just might Run away to some place we we can be who we are. We can be who we are.